Hey folks, this is Glenn. Welcome to another episode of Other Moods. Uh, recently in the news, uh, about a week ago, I saw that uh, Rick Moranis, the actor, was assaulted on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. It was a random assault by someone who obviously is disturbed anyone on this randomly attacks a stranger. But there's no real, there's no logical reason for it. And of course, Rick Moranis is a beloved uh, comedic actor, starred in the very popular Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and other films and TV programs, and of course, Ghostbusters, which is a favorite film of mine. Uh, everyone knows Ghostbusters, but let's say for some reason, you don't know Ghostbusters, it's a film about uh, three scientists who start a paranormal, uh, ex- I guess, extermination or pest control, I guess you might call it, uh, they capture ghosts that are haunting New York City, and of course, uh, it's a, it's, it's a really, it's one of my favorite films, I haven't met too many people who don't like Ghostbusters, and, you know, in the film, uh, there's a very funny scene, uh, the character Dr. Peter Venkman, uh, played by, of course, the wonderful, legendary Bill Murray, at one point, there's a confrontation, and he tells one, hey, back off, man, I'm a scientist. And, in fact, they had t-shirts that had this quote on it, along with the Ghostbusters logo. And when I was a kid, I had one of these shirts. It was one of my favorite shirts. I would wear as much as I could. Uh, even though I was not a scientist, I, I felt very affirmed and, and confident wearing that t-shirt. And what I love about that line is sort of... The confidence of it and the sort of the assurance of like I know what I'm doing I know what I'm talking about so you know sort of respect that and often I think when it comes to certain things especially yourself you're the expert you're the scientist no one quite knows you like you you are the expert on you Yes, there are people who know you well, and people who know you really well. There are some people who, in some in certain categories, they may know you as well as you know yourself. But when it comes to really being, like I said, an expert, it's you. And But sometimes we sort of lack the confidence, right? Because maybe we're unsure about things, right? We're, we get caught up in what's happening in the world. Sometimes, but do the things we want, should we really want that? Do the things we want to do, should we really want to do that? Are there things that we are not doing, should we be doing that? We have all these questions and sort of competing sort of narratives in our head. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. And then we watch, you know, the news and the state of the world. And sometimes we feel very small. But the only person who can really know the path is you. Now, there are people who can give you good advice. There are people who can point you in the right direction of places you need to go in sort of areas you may need to point your attention to. But like I said, you know you. And I think you should be committed to being uh, the expert of knowing your feelings and knowing your emotions know what excites you, know what disturbs you, know what makes you uneasy, 
what makes you comfortable. Because often we feel like we have to master so many things outside of ourselves, right? And there are lots of things to, to have to know about, either work or, you know, money and uh, relationships and trying to find out what you're going to eat for lunch. All these different things you have to sort of navigate. But it all starts sort of like from within. And that's your job, right? You are a PhD, Rhodes Scholar, a Nobel Prize winning uh, expert on the state of your own being. And I think sort of digging deeper into those things, why you feel certain ways. I always say to myself that I, sometimes I need to vet my feelings. Like if I'm feeling a certain way, why am I feeling a certain way? Uh, if if something catches my eye, I kind of ask myself, well, why is that catching my eye? Why why has that come to my attention? It's not to be, you know, to, to be too sort of uh, thinking too much about it. Because sometimes, look, there's such thing as overthinking. And I don't want to, if you listen to this, I don't want you to be a victim of overthinking. That can be very paralyzing. That can also be very sort of a, a sort of an anguishing sort of situation to be overthinking everything. But I also think sort of just taking time uh, to really sort of dig a little deeper into who you are, into you know who you are, what you are, what you want to do. I think can be productive. So if anyone has anything to say about it, just say, "Hey, back off, man." I'm a scientist. Thank you for listening to Other Moods. Hello, folks. I am Glenn Mann, and I want to welcome you to New York is My Mood, Poem and Thoughts which is a collection of poetry by yours truly and some other writings, mostly inspired by the great city of New York. Now, the thing about uh, poetry is it's acquired taste. Some people just don't get poetry. Some people absolutely, absolutely love poetry. Some people certain poets that they're fond of and for me for a long time I would say a good part of my life I had sort of a maybe not love-hate relationship with poetry but like sort of indifferent uh, to it growing up as a kid sometimes I would you know, occasionally write poetry but I didn't really consider poetry just words or uh, you know verses you know, words without, a, words without music, songs without music, without melody, and in addition to writing songs. Um, my first, I guess, really serious interest in poetry came very early in my 20s because of a girl, of course. There was a young lady who I had met, she was actually like, like a co-worker of my cousin, who was really into poetry, she was a poet, she wrote and she's, she's very pretty. I was very interested in her. So we began talking. 
and nothing really romantically developed. But she, I remember she shared with me her poetry, and I would sometimes write poetry and, you know, give it to her to read. And I remember one thing, I mean, one time she shared with me her, her, this book of poetry she had that she actually let me hold for like about a, a week, which I thought was very generous. I was very worried about losing the book or spilling coffee or something on it. Uh, but after that, I kind of didn't pay poetry much attention. Uh, there were poets growing up, of course, that I was aware of, that I liked. Uh, the famous ones, of course, Edgar Allan Poe, who is a big influence. Also, Langston Hughes. So, flash forward, uh, years later, uh, poetry began to sort of come back to me. On long walks, I've always been someone who loved going on long walks around the city. Just taking in observations and either just walking or with my camera taking photos. And on these walks, sometimes just verses would just come to me. It may be one or two lines uh, that I thought were memorable. Sometimes I would write them down, sometimes I would not. But I just, you know, I would say over the last three years is really when poetry became a sort of forum for me to express feelings, sometimes that were inexpressible in, you know, other manners. Sometimes feelings I didn't even know that I were, that I was having. So over the past, I would say two years is when I've really been the most productive in writing poetry. And New York sort of being my muse, being my first love, you know, it's obvious that they would become sort of the main subject. So I'm going to start with uh, a poem, actually the first one in the book. It's called Awake New York. From high above the old waters, the city seems unreal. Just a dream of a man or woman who's gone mad. An imagination running among the wild. But it's all so true. The moving hordes, the shadowing concrete, the idea of glorious tomorrows and aspirational towers. This is New York. That's called Awake New York. That's the very first poem in the collection. And just a little backstory on that poem. I actually wrote that poem on a bus. It was a very early spring, late winter day, like March, but not quite spring yet, but it was sort of a mild day. And I find myself going to Brooklyn to take some pictures, specifically Williamsburg. I like Williamsburg. It's a lot of great street art. There are a lot of sort of unique, whimsical shops. There's also a lot of dogs who are dressed better than regular people and dress like really cool. So the place that I, I like to go uh, take pictures or go see, just experience it. So I was waiting for the bus and it was a long wait for the bus to go back to Manhattan. 
until after a very long wait, I'm on the bus and I'm going across the bridge. And suddenly I just found myself in awe of just the city, seeing the, the skyline, seeing Manhattan from lower uh, to uptown, from that view and seeing the skyscrapers and seeing the water. And it, for a moment it just felt like a dream. It, it felt like something that wasn't real. But I knew it was real. So I was just inspired by that moment. And so that was uh, Awake New York. And then the next poem is actually directly uh, behind that one in the collection. It's called Last Day of Summer in Washington Square. And before I read this, I'm going to say that this poem took a long time to write. To complete at least. It took about a, a year uh, to actually finish the poem once I started it, which is the longest I've spent so far on any poem. I have lots of poems that are unfinished and I haven't finished yet, but this is a poem that I started and it just would not leave me. And it, I kept trying to write it over and over again and it never quite felt right. So here's the finished product. It's called Last Day of Summer in Washington Square. It's the last day of summer in Washington Square, where the intermingling sounds of jazz horns and children play. Where kings and queens are pawns for one more play. Where words from poets now dead still have a say. It's the last day of summer in Washington Square, where pretty young coeds make old men look twice. Where young men with flirty intentions make pretty young coeds think twice. Where those hustling by and for the grass can make nice. It's the last day of summer in Washington Square, where you can sit for a fix of the sun before dusk, where you wish under the arch that autumn and winter will have a gentle touch. It's the last day of summer in Washington Square. Now, of course, that poem is about Washington Square Park in Greenwich Village, which is the heart and soul of that neighborhood, really. And it's one of my favorite places uh, in all of New York City, it's like in my top five, really, if I was going to list places to go, uh, there's the atmosphere. And, you know, for decades, it's been this sort of gathering spot for so many different types of people, from musicians, poets, uh, transients, of course, the students of NYU, who, you know, effectively the art acts as their, you know, their campus, right, their default campus. And anytime I've gone to Washington Square Park, I've always just felt inspired or felt, you know, a sense of belonging or felt home because of so much happening from, you know, people skateboarding to someone playing piano, someone on the other side playing the guitar, someone painting, someone selling artwork. And uh, I feel like always sort of captures a genuine spirit of not only... uh, what Greenwich Village has meant historically, but also just the spirit of New York City. So that was the last day of summer in Washington Square. Uh, The next poem, which I wrote this year, and did not take a year to write, only took a couple of minutes, really. It's called New York Will Be New York Again. And this was written uh, directly in response to the year that we've had. As far as, you know, 2020, COVID-19, the pandemic. 
telling you to read it to you and then talk about it some more. It's called New York Will Be New York Again. New York will be New York again. We will forget our cares in Washington Square and get lost in the walks near the Highline Park. We'll meet for drinks in Brooklyn and marvel at the sparkling skyline across. We will stand close to each other without a second thought when New York is New York again. Like I was saying, I wrote this poem uh, right when we were at the very beginning of what was happening with COVID-19 and the closures was happening and so the city was inundated with sounds of sirens from ambulances of people, you know, being rushed to the hospital. There was a field hospital being built at Central Park. Uh, there were ships, hospital ships being docked here in the city. It was a very scary time, that initial uh, beginning period. And you sort of wondered about uh, sort of what the future looked like. And I wrote this before all the talk that people started. If you start to hear online from certain people saying that New York City was dead because of, you know, so many closures. And there were people leaving New York City, fleeing to the suburbs or fleeing back to their hometowns or wherever they could find a refuge of safety. But uh, New York is the most resilient, uh, I believe, city in the world. It's a city born of resilience. Time and time again, it has been counted out, and people have sort of prematurely labeled its death. And you know, people said, of course, New York was dead back in the 70s in the fiscal crisis when the city almost been bankrupt or during the height of the crack epidemic when we had thousands of murders a year and crime was rampant or if you want to be a history nerd go back to the, the 1700s the great fire the 1780 there's quite a few great fires in New York in the 1700s where most of what was then New York City at least Manhattan lower Manhattan burned and I'm sure people wondered wow this place would never be the same again uh, but New York uh, endures and we are going through a tough time right now. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I believe that New York will be New York again. The New York that you love. In fact, in many ways, it's still here. It's a little battered. It's a little bruised. Uh, but it's not going anywhere. So that poem, uh, this was sort of, this sort of captured that feeling of the resiliency of the city. And uh, this is another one I'm about to read. It's called Big City of Lonely Souls. And New York City is a very a densely populated city, over 8 million people. Sometimes you feel like you're running into all those 8 million people on a busy sidewalk in midtown Manhattan. And sometimes it seems kind of unthinkable that the city with so many people and so crowded and with so much going on all the time that it could also be the loneliest place in the world, which often it can be for many people. So this next poem, Big City of Only Souls, is about that. In the big city of lonely souls, men and women long for hugs, thirst for kisses. They sit on park benches holding only their own hands, a subconscious prayer for someone to end their solitude. They sit by windows in cafes longing to be looked at. They make turns around street corners hoping to find old friends by happenstance. 
at corners of dim-lighted bars, they listened to the laughs of strangers wishing they could know the joke. On the walk home, they strolled past lovers and affection to public display, a physical language that feels foreign to them. At night, they go to bed. It's a solitary sleep, well-rested for another day in the big city of lonely souls. And as I said in the beginning, that was just about the fact there are many lonely people in this big city. And, you know, longing or searching for some sort of connection. And sometimes they happen uh, fleeting, in a fleeting manner. But they do happen. It may be a short conversation at a bus stop or online to get a coffee or get a bagel. Or maybe you run into an old co-worker, an old friend for a couple of minutes so maybe it's you it's longing maybe there's someone you fancy someone you have an eye on and you, you kind of wonder what would it be like so I'm kind of going in order right now so I'm actually going to read another poem right behind, that's right behind me in the collection called New York is just like heaven New York is just like heaven said the Buddha under a central park tree a poor land of dreams and concrete mystery. In Christ on the corner near Tiffany showed me the way down to 42nd Street, where holy guys and dolls pray east towards Brooklyn and Queens, and pilgrims make their way from Staten Island to the Battery, and sacred Harlem sisters sing with glee. God knows the Bronx is beautiful. That's what the prophets say. It's after sundown go uptown when we break fast for blessed bread. This is the city of eternal living, not of the dead. That is New York just like heaven. New York is just like heaven. And I would say what I wanted to capture with that poem, and there are a couple other poems in that sort of same manner or direction, is that often places like New York are sort of dubbed as like these sort of dens, dens of inequity, right? of sin, right, of sort of behavior. It's not the heartland of America that is so uh, revered. And it's something I, I noticed when I was a kid growing up, something I think still continues today, that somehow uh, in, in places like New York or even, you want to say, Los Angeles or New Orleans, coastal cities or places that are cosmopolitan somehow are deficient when it comes to sort of spirituality. And for me, New York is a profoundly spiritual place. And in fact, I consider it a holy city. And not the holy city, but I consider it a holy city. Because it is a city of faith. And I think it takes a lot of faith uh, to live here. It takes a lot of faith to, to survive, to, to thrive. It takes a lot of faith for people who come here without much to try to live their dreams or make it in their chosen professions and also there's a great number of faith communities from Christians to Muslims to Jews to Hindus uh, to Buddhists uh, whatever you want to name we got it here in New York so New York is a profoundly spiritual place and that is something that I really wanted to sort of capture and you know Express. I think it's important too. And there's a couple other poems uh, in that manner that uh, sort of sort of at that. So uh, another poem I'm going to read right now is called "On a Harlem Street." 
she was born on a Harlem street and she lives on a Harlem street. And when she is walking down the Harlem street, she is a butterfly ascending on a Harlem street. She is cocoa butter, she is wine. She makes men and women with properly working watches lose time. On 125th Street, a man at the table selling old songs sees her and tries to sing like Al Green, cause you know that I'm still in love with you. On 110th Street, old church ladies see her hips switching between heaven and hell, and the pastor asks the Lord Jesus what could it all mean. She was born on Harlem Street, and she lives on Harlem Street, and when she is walking down in Harlem Street, she is a butterfly ascending on a Harlem Street. And, of course, that poem is pretty obvious. It's about a, a young woman uh, living in Harlem. And uh, Harlem is uh, one of the great neighborhoods, one of the great places in New York City. Uh, it's a place that inspires and energizes, I think, anyone who visits or lives there. And I wanted to capture sort of the, sort of the essence of a young woman who is... Maybe she, you know, they said she was born on Harlem Street. She's, you know, she's a native, and she's sort of just uh, living, and sort of the, the place is sort of living through her. So I just want to sort of to capture that, and you know, there's so many great places. New York is a, a, a place of many great locations and stories, and Harlem is one of those uh, key places. I think we are, you know, are very blessed to have. If you ever got the chance to live in Harlem, which I did for a brief period of time, it's a place that is always you find it's interesting. And it sort of always makes you think and makes you very grateful of the amazing history that exists there. So I'm actually pulling through the book right now. This is not really a big plan. you know, production. So I'm just going to, you know, some of the things that are here uh, in the book that you might be interested in. Maybe it's sort of a, a nine. There's a couple of poems that are not about New York. Uh, but here's another one that's about New York. It's called Some Time Ago. Some time ago, not too long ago, I think it was a month ago, but everything seemed okay in the city was the city. Now like a cowboy ghost town, I hear my own heart beat too clearly, and I wish it was a month ago. That's called Some Time Ago, March 2020. That's another poem that's in direct response to the pandemic. And it's those very early days where uh, things were very sort of scary and eerie. And there's a sense of foreboding uh, when you went out. It was just weird how quickly things changed. Because I remember it was just a couple of weeks. It was like towards the end of February, year, very early March. I remember uh, being out and having a good time. I went to a an art event and there was a party, there was like a reception afterwards. And I remember drinking and talking with people, you know, meeting interesting people. It was such a fun, uh, sort of typical experience that many people have in New York. And within a matter of weeks, all of a sudden, that well, life disappeared. And I was, you know, was kind of, I was like, wow, really just a month ago, everything was normal. And we were in the midst of this uh, sort of horror that we were living in. And unfortunately, are still living in right now uh, as I speak. So this is uh, another poem. 
I'm about to read called Back on West 4th Street. A man with a hole in his shirt under the right underarm is standing on West 4th Street begging for change. A woman with a walk is walking across West 4th Street in high heels that hit the metal grate and it sounds like change. Two, ten- two teenagers from Brooklyn Uptown with college books in their brains and tenderness in their hearts exit the West 4th Street subway on West 3rd Street carrying signs that demand change. Over in Washington Square Park, a trumpet player plays with a loud drummer in a crazy basses and tries to keep up with the notes and the changes. An old poet on McDougal Street, living on the fourth floor of a walker with a fuzzy intercom, looks out the window and wonders when did everything change. The old poet's wife, also a poet, waiting for an order of monthly discs and low main dad takeout, sits in front of the TV in a staring match with cable news and wonders if anything will ever change. Back on West 4th Street. The man begging for holding his shirt under the right on the arm is ready for a change. And that's called Back on West 4th Street. Of course, the West 4th Street is one of the main streets in uh, Greenwich Village. Of course, the train station is right there. And uh, it's always uh, been, uh, there's always a lot going on on West 4th Street. But I wanted to capture like a day. Uh, a hypothetical day, but with some, I think realistic reflections of that particular area, that neighborhood, Greenwich Village, West 4th Street. And, uh, you know, I think, like I said, there's so many different narratives that take place within that certain neighborhood, that block that you can witness, from students to, to, to long-time residents of that neighborhood, uh, the people who are just maybe going through or just visiting. So many things uh, are happening. And I'm going to read another poem called Beat, which is one of the poems that is not about New York. I feel beat, like down and out. I feel beaten, like spankings from an ill-tempered god. I feel beat like offbeat, trying to get back in rhythm. Because I don't know this dance That I want to become more than beat Like the start of a song And a little bit of hope A savory melody And drums that sound eternal And mischievous Feet tapping in time Hand clapping in time Or finger snapping in time Be on the beat And be like the being And everything good That's called beat And um I guess the meaning of that poem Is about Sort of the natural rhythm of life But also the main dimensions of that word beat and of course it's sort of an homage to the beat generation uh, that collection that group of writers and poets who revolutionized sort of literature in America they had a profound influence on, on many writers of subsequent generations uh, including uh, me uh, writers like Jack Kerouac Allen Ginsberg William Burroughs, uh, yeah, that's sort of the other writers at that time period. Leroy Jones, aka Amira Baraka, uh, Lawrence Ferdinand uh, the all these writers who not only saw the world in a, a specific way, they saw a word of hurt and of longing and wanted to express that, and they did it in a very unique manner that was very different from what was traditional poetry. 
Of course, there's always been different poets who sort of, I guess you say, blaze the trail in a different direction from, you know, Walt Whitman and Ralph Waldo Emerson. And the, the beats were in that tradition of sort of introspective and sort of with an outer perspective. Uh, looking at the world and at themselves and sort of a, it's a very, I believe, spiritual aspect uh, to the beat generation. And also very the way they wrote, it, you know, the influence of jazz, of, of bop music, you know, or bebop. And, you know, Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie all these different uh, creative forces and also there was the same period where we saw the rise of abstract expressionism Jackson Pollock so the beats and are a huge influence uh, to me not only as a, as a writer as a poet uh, but also just at how I look at the world what am I really looking for what am I searching for so that poem is sort of a homage to them so I don't, I'm not going to read you every single poem because I want you to actually maybe buy it if you're interested in it. Or if not, maybe you just enjoy this uh, this little uh, uh, production that I'm doing right now. So, this is called You Can Only Be You. You can only be you. Not the you that they want or the you that they think. It's the you that you are. The you that is you. The true that is you. There's only one question. Are you ready for you? You can only be you. I think that's pretty self-evident. I think you have to... You can't try to be who other people want you to be or who you think they want you to be or whatever is expected from you that is not really genuine of you. The only person you can be uh, is you. I think that's pretty uh, straightforward. As we're entering... uh, Here's another one I'm going to read for you called A Song of Rum and Coke. My blues sway away to the beat of happy hour rhythms. As the clink of ice cubes and drinking glasses hit high notes, it's the syncopation of my spirit with spirits. A toast to a sweet kiss with distilling bewitching. A rum and coke, right? It's a jaunt, it's a, it's a short poem about rum and coke. And uh, when growing up as a kid, rum and coke was my father's like, go-to drink. Whenever my father was out, he would get a rum and coke. And when I became of drinking age, that was like the first drink I ordered was a rum and coke. And it's still sort of my go-to. If I go to any sort of, if I go to a bar or a restaurant or uh, any kind of party, there's a free bar, which is the best ones to go to. So that's sort of an homage to that uh, sort of feeling of, you know, everything you know, of that represents personally and just, you know, one of those things. So I'm going to read, I think, just a couple more poems. This is called It Must Be the City. It must be the city. He feels so alive, it must be the city. She looks more pretty than pretty. Is it the glow from the city? The kids run wild and get real loud in the city. Old men remember dreams, hiding skyscrapers in the city. Old ladies speak wisdom, deeper than subways in the city. More stories to be told, stay tuned to the city. I think that's not much to explain there. I think it's about 
that's New York. And like it says at the end, there are more stories to be told. There are always stories being created and made about the people. So that is some of the poems from this new collection uh, that I've written. Uh, called New York is My Mood, Poems and Thoughts. Uh, there's an ebook and a printed book. Uh, the ebook, is, I believe, is a, is a great value, and uh, you will find links to it. And and whatever you are listening to this, there will be links to the descriptions if you'd like to purchase this, or if you just want to drop me a line and tell me how you feel about maybe something caught your eye, maybe or caught your ear, and you were sort of inspired by it, or maybe it made you reflect on something. So it's called New York is My Mood, Home and Thoughts. I am Glenn Mann. I want to thank you for taking time to listen.